are here to gather to worship because we know who Jesus is. But what about people who don't? Uh, how do you explain to people who do, do not know who Jesus is, who he is? Tonight, if you have a copy of God's Word, look with me to the book of John, chapter 8. As we continue our study in the book of John, John, chapter 8, and we're going to begin reading with verse 12. This is one of those passages that you need to know some background to really understand it. I mean, you can understand it without knowing the background. It is very clear what Jesus is saying. But once you understand the background, once you understand what's taking place, then you're going to have this aha moment. And Jesus is going to be talking to the Pharisees. He's going to be talking to the scribes. They do not believe who he is. They do not believe he is the Son of God. They do not believe he is the Messiah. And Jesus is going to talk to them in a way to try to get their attention. And as we go through this, we can apply this to the people that we know in the world today. So John chapter 8, verse 12. And probably, again, this is, as we said last time, uh, passage in the beginning of John 8. Uh, you know, we probably need to go back to John chapter 7 to see where it continues because it's the Feast of the Tabernacles. But let's look at it. Verse 12, John chapter 8. Then Jesus again spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, you are testifying about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered and said to them, even if I testified about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I'm going, but you do not know where I come from or where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh, and I'm judging, I'm not judging anyone. But even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for I'm not alone in it, but I am the Father who sent me. Even in your law it has been written that the testimony of two men is true. I am he who testify about myself, and the Father who sent me testify about me. So they were saying to him, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. And these words he spoke in the temple as he taught in the, te- uh, tre- these words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple. And no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. And then he said again to them, I go away and you will seek me and will die in your sins. Where I'm going, you cannot come. So the Jews were saying, surely he will not kill himself, will he? Since he says, where I'm going, you cannot come. And he was saying to them, you are from below and I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. Therefore, I say to you that you will die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. And so they were saying to him, who are you? And Jesus said to them, what have I been saying to you from the beginning? I have many things to speak and to judge concerning you, but he who sent me is true. The things which I heard from him, these I speak to the world. And they did not realize that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he. And I do nothing on my own initiative, but I speak these things as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. And as he spoke these things... Many came to believe in him. Pray with me. Our Father in heaven tonight, as we examine this passage, 
We ask you, Father, to give us insight to help us to understand it. Help us, Father, understand that we're surrounded by a lost world. And, Father, we are to be the light. Help us, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It is no exaggeration. The light of Christ has has shone through the generations. And because of his light, Christians are sharing that light. Kenneth Loderay wrote a seven-volume history of the expansion of Christianity. When talking about Jesus, this is what he said. No life ever lived on this planet has been so influential in the affairs of men as that of Christ. From that brief life and its apparent frustration has flowed a more powerful force for the triumphal waging of man's lost battle than any other ever known by the human race. Through it, millions of people have had their inner conflicts resolved. Through it, hundreds of millions have been lifted, lifted from illiteracy and ignorance and have been placed upon the road of growing intellectual freedom and control over the physical environment. It has been done more to allay the, the physical ills of disease and famine than any other impulse, and it has emancipated millions from chattel slavery and millions of others from, from other vices. It has protected tens of millions from exploitation by the fellows, and it has been the most fruitful source of movement to lessen the horrors of war, to put the relation of men and nations on the basis of justice and peace. This is the influence of Jesus through his followers in society. What he's saying is very simple. He is saying the impact of Jesus 2,000 years ago, we're seeing today. Not, no one, no person has ever had more influence in the world on everyone than Jesus Christ. And he said, look at what's happening around the world. Look what the church is doing. Jesus is the light. And we are also to be the light, reflecting his light. With that in mind, look back at our passage in John chapter 8. Jesus is talking. Now, let me give you the background. He's going to make a very simple statement in in verse 12, one that's very easy to understand when he says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. But now let me tell you the background of the story. Jesus is in Jerusalem. This is the Feast of the Tabernacles. Remember a few weeks ago, we looked at another portion of the same feast And remember, I said the priest would go and get some water from the Pool of Siloam, and and, and they would come, and they would pour the water out in a ceremony. And and Jesus started talking about, if you come to me, you'll never thirst. Jesus proclaimed that whoever come to him would have rivers of living water flowing. Jesus took a moment from that ceremony when they were pouring water, and he took that image and pointed it to himself. Well, there's another ceremony that's going to take place in this Feast of the Tabernacles. John, in verse 12, tells us where Jesus is, and that's important. Jesus is in the treasury. He is teaching in the treasury, in the part of that temple. The treasury was the court of the women, where people would come and bring their offerings. So, let me give you a little background. In the temple, it was divided into different sections. So, you had, for example, you had the court of the Gentiles, where the Gentiles could go. You had the the court of the women, where women could go. And and then you had the court of the priests, and that was restricted, and you had different sections. The place where the most people gathered was the court of the women, because men and women both could gather there. So, in the court of the women, you had these uh, containers. You had the uh, receptacles where you would give money. And we've talked about this before. It, it was shaped kind of uh, uh, like a trombone, uh, uh, 
very big at the top, and then it goes down. You could throw your money, and it would make all this sounds. Well, there was more than one. There was 13 receptacles. And so, in this treasury, you had all these people gathered around, and, and as they come in, they would give their offering. This is where, for example, remember Jesus talked about the widow who gave her might. Now, what a lot of people don't realize or don't know is that the receptacles had different functions. So, like, number one and two was designed that you had to pay a half-shekel temple tax. Everyone had to pay that if you had money at all. Uh, Then the receptacles, number three and four, that's where women would put money, and they would purchase uh, two pigeons so, so they could purify themselves for childbearing. Then receptacle number, number five, this is where you would place money in order to purchase the wood for the fire for the altar. Well, receptacle number six was the, had, you placed money there for the incense. Receptacles number five and also five and six were related to the sacrifices. Uh, number seven was a receptacle to keep the golden vessels of the temple. In other words, to hire people to, to clean. And then receptacles 8 through 13, this is for anyone, everyone. This is the general fund. And that's where Jesus was teaching. This is where he was. It was the place where the most people. That's important. This is the Feast of the Tabernacle. During the Feast of the Tabernacle, in the court of the women, they would light up these candelabras, torches, lights everywhere. And all of a sudden, all of Jerusalem would see the glow. Historians talk about it. They talk about it. It was almost like a diamond in the city of Jerusalem. The Jews called it the illumination of the temple. It was a most incredible sight as these lights were lit, and now all of a sudden people could see the light. You remember what the Feast of the Tabernacle was all about? They were celebrating the, uh, leaving Egypt and how God led them by light. Remember the story? Well, this is their celebration. They would light up the, the area of the women, the court of the women, and people could see the light. It was the light that led them in the, in the, in the wilderness. This was a graphic symbol of the fact that the God was with his people, and God led his people, and God protected his people to go into the promised land. And again, some historians have said that when it was at night and the light was shining, wherever you were, you could see the light. If you were coming to Jerusalem, you see this light. That's how much light it was. And while they were doing this, they would be quoting Scripture. They'd be quoting Isaiah chapter 42. And when he would say, I, I will be the light to the nations. Now, in that setting, Jesus makes an announcement. You're in the treasury area. There are lights everywhere. It's bright. It's brilliant. And Jesus says in verse 12, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. That's the announcement. Jesus did not say, I am a light in the world. That's what some teachers might have said. Jesus said, I am the light. Jesus did not say, I am the light of Jerusalem. He did not say, I am the light of Judah. He said, I am the light in the world. This is an exclusive, encompassing claim 
where Jesus is saying to all the people, I want you to know, as you are thinking about God, I am the light of the world. And this is the second time we've seen in the book of John where Jesus says, I am. He will say it seven times in the book of John, the I am statement. Remember that phrase, I am? We remember when Moses, uh, the burning bush, and he asked God, who do I say sent me? And God said, tell him, I am. Here's Jesus. He's already said, I am the bread. And now he is saying, I am the light. As they are thinking about God, as they are thinking about how God rescued them, here is Jesus in the temple. I am the light. I mean, this is a remarkable claim. Jesus is claiming to be God. You know, it always cracks me up when people tell me, nowhere in the Bible does Jesus ever claim to be God. And all that tells me, you've never read the Bible. Over and over and over again, he claimed he was God. In fact, the point of the Gospel of John, we talked about that. John wrote this book so that we would believe that Jesus is God. And here's Jesus saying, I am the light. And all through history, they connected light with God. In the Old Testament, the Jews recognized the pillar, the cloud of the Lord in Exodus chapter 13 as God. The psalmist in Psalm chapter 27 verse 1 says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. In the book of Isaiah chapter 9 verse 2, making a prophecy about the coming Messiah, it said, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine upon them. Again in Isaiah chapter 42, talking about the Messiah, he's been appointed to be, quote, a light to the nations. In Isaiah chapter 60, God said to his people in verse 19 and 20, No longer will you have the sun for light by day, nor for brightness will the moon give you light, but you will have the Lord for an everlasting light, and your God for your glory. Your sun will no longer set, nor will your moon wane, for you will have the Lord for everlasting light. And here is Jesus in the treasury saying, I am the light. By the way, this theme continues even in the New Testament. Book of Revelation, chapter 21. It talks about instead of the sun and the moon, the nation will have as the lamb as their lamp. And the lamb has been identified as the Lord God. John writes in 1 John, chapter 1, verse 5, God is light and in him there is no darkness. You see, over and over and over, the Bible says when you think about light, you think about God. And here's Jesus. He says, I am the light of the world. He is claiming to be God. But not only that, he's claiming that he will reveal the truth about God to us. Look what he says. I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus is saying, I am the light. I am God, and I will reveal the truth to you about the heavenly father. I'm going to show you who the Father is. You know, there's something fascinating about light. There's an article in the National Geographic that said this about light. There's been light from the beginning. There will be light at the end. In all of its forms, visible and invisible, it saturates the universe. Light is more than a little mysterious. Modern physics has sliced the stuff of nature into even smaller and more exotic uh, constitution, but light won't reduce. Light is light, pure, but not simple. In fact, no one even knows how to describe light. Is it a wave, a particle? Yes, the scientists say. Both. 
It is the measure of light importance in our daily life that we hardly pay any attention to it. Light is almost like air. It is a given. A human would no more linger over the concept of light than a fish would ponder the notion of water. And then the author said this, and the more you look at the topic, the more you realize that our lives are built around light. Their daily existence is a continuous shape and more vivid by the ambiguous stuff that dates from the beginning of time. From our technology to our spirituality, we are creatures of light. I read that. I'm thinking, you know, science cannot understand light, and we cannot understand God. And God says, I want you to think of me when you think of light. And Jesus is going to reveal himself to us. He's going to show us the Father. He is God, but he's going to show us the Father. He makes that announcement, but then he gives us an assurance in verse 12. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus says, I am the light, and I want you to understand, I will give you this assurance that I will help you. How does he help us? Well, number one, God's light transforms us. Whenever a person has a personal encounter with Jesus Christ, they are going to be changed. In fact, if you had a personal encounter with Jesus and you don't change, something's wrong. He has a, a life-altering experience. We see it throughout Scripture. Remember Saul? Saul was trying to kill Christians. And then he turns up trying to make Christians. What happened? Saul was walking down the road to Damascus, and a bright light appeared, blinded him. And he had a life-changing experience because the light transformed him. Jesus said, I am the light, and I will transform you. Secondly, light guides us. Again, going back to the tabernacle, the, the, the Feast of the Tabernacle, they, they celebrated how the light guided the people of Israel, guided them through the wilderness. Exodus chapter 13, the Lord was going before them in a pillar of cloud by day to lead them on the way, and a pillar of fire by night to give them light so they may travel by day and by night. Throughout this time, Israel is in the wilderness. You had this cloud hovering over the tabernacle, showing them where to go. And here's Jesus saying, I am the light. And what he's doing is he's making us a promise that he is going to guide us. He's going to guide us to the end of time. He's going to guide us to the end of the age. The writer of Hebrews says, Jesus said, I will never desert you. No, I will never forsake you. Now, I don't know if you know where you're going in life, but let me tell you, God knows where you need to go in life. And he will guide us. The religious leaders of Jesus' day, they didn't know where they were going. They didn't even know who Jesus was. I mean, they had the light of the law, and they had the light of their conscience, but they didn't have the light of life. And Jesus is saying to them, I want to guide you. I want to show you. I, the Bible says in, in Psalm 32, I will guide you along the best pathways, and I will advise you and watch over you. That's Jesus' assurance. Third, God's light protects us. You go back in the book of Exodus and you see this light that guided them. It also protected them. That cloud and fire protected Israel, both from the Pharaoh's advancing army. Also, it protected them from the night air and from the heat. He protected his people with the light. 
Jesus is saying, I am the light of the world. If you come to me, I give this assurance to you. I will protect you. I will protect you from the spiritual battles. Now, again, as I said this morning, will he protect us from all problems and suffering? No. We live in a fallen world. But he will protect us from spiritual battles. He will protect us from ourselves. He will protect us as we move and serve him. He will protect us. But Jesus is the light only for those who follow him. That's what he says. I am the light of the world. He who follows me. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light. What does that mean? To follow Jesus means you need to trust him as your Savior and your Lord. You got to trust him. You don't follow someone you don't trust. If you're hiking in the woods one day and and you see all these different trails. And I walk up and I, and I say, you can trust me. Would you trust this face in the woods? No. But there are some people you would look at and say, I can trust that person. I, they, they know the trails. They, they know how to get through this. You follow the person you trust. Jesus said, you are to follow me. That means you are to trust him as Savior and as Lord. You trust him and obey him. Do you believe everything he says about himself? Do you trust him? I love the story of the grandfather walking in the woods with his grandson. The grandfather asks his grandson, do you know where you are? The grandson, no, granddad. He said, do you know where you're going? No, granddad. Well, do you know how to get back? Oh, no, granddad. Grandfather said, well, I guess you're lost. Little boy said, I'm not lost. I'm with you. When you're with Jesus, you're never lost, even if you're clueless. As long as you're with Jesus, you'll never be lost. You'll always have meaning and purpose. And then right after Jesus' assurance, beginning in verse 13, the Pharisees have an argument. And this takes most of the passage here. Look what the Pharisee says in, in verse 13. They began to argue with him. And they said, you're, you're testifying about yourself, and your testimony is not true. Now, now, why would they say that? Well, based on their law, they said you've got to have two witnesses. Jesus, you're, you're talking, but you don't have another witness on your side. We, you, you can't say this. There's no testimony here. Verse 14, Jesus responded in a way they weren't expecting. Jesus said to them, even if I testify about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I came from and where I'm going, but you do not know where I come from or where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh, and I'm not judging anyone. But if I do judge, my judgment is true, for I'm not alone in it, but I am the Father who sent me. Even in your law, it has been written that the testimony of two men is true. I am he who testify about myself. And the Father who sent me testifies about me. Now, let me, let me tell you what Jesus is saying. They're saying, Jesus, you, you, you can't testify. You, you need two witnesses. And here's what Jesus is saying. You know, you, you're right. In the law, it says you need two witnesses. Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 15 says you need two or three witnesses. That's the law for men. That doesn't apply to God. Jesus said, if I testify about myself, my, my testimony is true. I know where I'm, I, I'm going. I know where I've come from. In other words, what Jesus is saying, 
I am God. My testimony is true. That law you're quoting, that's for men. That's not for me. I'm God. So his answer is, first of all, my claim is valid because of who I am and where I'm from and where I'm going. And we, we know where he's from. Remember, we've been reading about it. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We know where he's going. He's going to go to the cross and die for our sins. We know where he's going. He's going to be uh, resurrected into heaven. We know all that. They don't know this. They don't even know who, where he's from. Because remember earlier, they said he was from Nazareth. They never looked at their records to find out he's from Bethlehem. They said no, no Messiah is going to come out of Nazareth. No Messiah is going to come out of Galilee. They don't even know where he's from. All they had to do is do some research. He's from Bethlehem. And the Old Testament prophecy said the Messiah would come from Bethlehem. So Jesus said, look, you're right. That law applies to you, but it doesn't apply to me because I'm God. Verse 15, you judge according to the flesh. In other words, you judge on the superficial terms. You, you look at just certain things. That's how you make your judgment. By the way, that's how they always judge people. By the way, in, in the Sermon on the Mount, remember where Jesus said, judge not that you not be judged? What he's talking about is this kind of judging. When you just judge superficially, I mean, that, that, that means nothing. So what does Jesus say? I'm not judging anyone that way. I, I don't judge people superficially. Verse 16, but if I do judge, my judgment is true, for I'm not alone in it, but I'm my Father who sent me. He said, I don't judge the way you judge, but if I do judge, my judgment will be true because it's not going to be superficial. It's not going to be by the flesh. It's going to be by the Spirit. You don't even know where I'm from. You sit in judgment. Verse 15. By the way, Paul, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5, 16, I judge no man in the flesh. That's what he's talking about here. I don't judge superficially. But then he gives a second reason. He said, but even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for I'm not alone in it, but I am the Father who sent me. Even in your law has been written, and the testimony of two men is true. I am he who testifies about myself, and the Father who sent me testifies about me. Here's what Jesus is saying. It's brilliant. He said, your law doesn't apply to me because I'm God. And that law doesn't apply to God. That's enough. But if you want another witness, I got another witness, my Heavenly Father. My heavenly Father testified for me. He was my witness because we're the same. Over and over, Jesus is saying, I am God. I have come here, and I am God. By the way, to say this to the Pharisees, to claim that you're a God, you, you couldn't imagine how angry they are how angry well they get sarcastic verse 19 so they were saying to him where is your father now they're doing two things here they either saying where is joseph because joseph has probably died by this time or maybe they're saying you're an illegitimate child because we know when you when mary became pregnant this is a personal attack on the character of Jesus. Jesus answered, 19, you know neither me or my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. Jesus responds, you don't know me. If you knew me, you knew God. If you know God, you know me. Later on in our story, Jesus is going to say that to the disciples, remember? When they said, Lord, show us the father. And Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. 
That's what he's saying to the Pharisees right now. If you knew the Father, you would know me. If you know me, you would know the Father. And then he tells them, you don't know God. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. When he said that you do not know the Father, what he's saying, you don't know God. He's telling the Pharisees, you don't know God. How bad was it? They wanted to kill him. Verse 20. This is the third time in, 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 in chapter 7 they wanted to kill him since ch- chapter 7. But his hour had not come. Our Lord was on a divine schedule. They can't do a thing. But Jesus is not finished talking. Look at verse 21. Then he said again to them, I go away and you will seek me and will die in your sins. Where I am going, you cannot come. He said, you're going to die in your sins. I'm going to go somewhere. You can't go where I'm going. In other words, I'm going to go to heaven. You can't go to heaven. You're going to die in your sins. And he was saying to them, you are from below and I am from above. You are from the world. I am not of this world. Therefore, I, I say to you that you will die in your sins. For unless you believe in me, I am he, you will die in your sins. He said it again. He said, you're going to die in your sins unless you believe who I am, that I am the Messiah. I am the Christ. Verse 25, they were saying to him, well, who are you? And Jesus said to them, what have I been saying to you from the beginning? I've been many things, I I have many things to speak and to judge concerning you, but he who sent me is true, and the things which I heard from him, these things I speak to the world. Verse 27, John tells us, they did not realize that he had been speaking to them about the Father. They're, They're still clueless. They're so angry with Jesus, they're not listening to Jesus. So Jesus says in verse 28, when you lift up the Son of Man, now he's talking about the crucifixion, that image of the lifting up. They, they don't get it. When you lift up the Son of Man, you will know that I am He, that I do nothing on my own initiative, but I speak these things as the Father taught me. And He who sent me is with me. He's not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to Him. Jesus said, You're going to figure it out when you lift me up. When I die on the cross, you're going to remember this. And you're going to know who I am. And John said, verse 30, as he spoke these things, many came to believe him. Not all, but many. Why wouldn't they accept Jesus? They've seen the miracles, they, they heard the teaching. Why wouldn't they accept Jesus? Here's the answer. The root reason that people reject Jesus is that they're in spiritual darkness and they love the darkness. That's it. When we talk to people about Christ and we don't know, why won't you accept Christ? They're in spiritual darkness and they really love their darkness. They won't, may not admit it, but they don't want to give it up. Remember John chapter 3, verse 19, men love darkness rather than the light, for their deeds are evil. We find this theme throughout this. The reason people reject Christ is they like their darkness. That's why we need the light. The light will expose the darkness. 
The more we proclaim Christ, the more we live for Christ, the more we tell people about Christ, the more light there is, and the more light there is, it will expose the darkness. And Jesus made, made this astounding claim, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have light of life. You know when he said that, he drew a line in the sand. You're in the darkness or you're in the light. You're not, there's nothing in between. There is nothing in between here. But the Pharisees, they rejected Jesus. For, probably for some superficial reasons. For some reason, they, didn't, they just liked their darkness. But Jesus draws a line in the sand. You either trust me and follow me, or you reject me. That's what he's saying. Jesus made this astounding claim that is still true today. Whether you're here tonight or you're watching online, there is no middle ground. You have either accepted Christ and you're walking in the light, or you have rejected Christ and you're still walking in darkness. Tonight, will you accept the light? By admitting that you're a sinner, saying, Lord, I realize I'm a sinner. I can't save myself. I believe that Jesus did die for me. I believe he is the Messiah. Will you give your life tonight? For those of you online, if you would just text the word today at 270-398-5005, and a minister will give you a call. But if you're here tonight and you would like to give your life to Christ, or maybe some other decision you need to make, or maybe something private, maybe tonight you realize you're in the light, but you keep looking at the darkness. Tonight's the night you need to say, Lord, I want to be in the light. Would you stand Bow, bow your heads as we pray. My Father, we live in a dark world. And Father, we know that people love the darkness. And Father, the reason they love the darkness is because the darkness hides things. But Father, the moment your light exposes the darkness, it changes. So Father, I pray tonight that your light will expose Expose our hearts. Expose who we are. Expose who Jesus is. Father, I pray that you will use our church, that, Father, we will represent you as we spread this light, not only in this community, but, Father, in the world. But, Father, right now, we pray that during this time of invitation, speak to us, that, Father, we may respond. In Jesus' name, amen.